Well, if you have your Bible today, uh, I want you to turn to two passages. John chapter 8, we're going to look at verse 12, and then Habakkuk chapter 2. John chapter 8 and Habakkuk chapter 2. I'm finishing up today a series called Vision, Light to See. Um, you know, uh, all of my life, I have had a 20-20 vision, really, really clear vision. But, but something happened in my fourth decade. Now, I have perfect vision. Only when I put readers on, it becomes more perfect. Anybody grateful for larger fonts later in, in your later years, okay? Like you're just walking around, you know, you're doing things, and all of a sudden, a kid walks up to you and says, hey, look at this, and you're like, Stretching out, you know, you don't really know that your vision is slightly impaired until you try to put it into practice, till you try to use it. Any of my glasses wearing friends can testify uh, to this. Now, um, you know, physical vision is important, but there is something of much greater importance, and that is to have spiritual vision for your life. Now today, uh, uh, get ready, because I'm going to give you a practical message on vision. We need some practical things. We've been talking about uh, uh, some, some higher thoughts about vision and, uh, and really understanding that God wants us to all have a vision in 2020, a divine revelation. You're born again, God will talk to you. And I just simply want you to position yourself to hear from him. And when he speaks, it will be profound and life-changing. So, but the key to vision is found in John chapter 8. Jesus said these words, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He says, I'm the light of the world. All illumination begins with a revelation of Jesus. And the only reason any of humanity walks in light or revelation or vision, the only reason you can see is because you have chosen to follow Jesus. That's how vision comes. All vision starts with a revelation of Jesus. So many of us in the church, we're just kind of uh, living by circumstance. And we, we, we kind of, you know, we're like, man, I want to go to heaven. But following Jesus, you know, I'm not real sure about what that means or what that looks like. And we kind of make up these divisions that don't really exist. There's nowhere in the Bible a differentiation between someone who is saved and on the way, way to heaven and someone who's following Jesus. In religious circles, people talk that way. They just don't talk that way in the Bible. And so what I want you to see is that if you are going to be a person of vision that lives by a revelation of who God has created you to be, it will be because you chose to follow Jesus. Because where Jesus is, is light. You can see where Jesus is. When you're not following Jesus, darkness. But he says, those who follow me will not walk in darkness. How many of you want 2020 to be the greater year of revelation, the greater year of illumination, the greater year where the Holy Spirit speaks to you as Jesus said he would and shows you things to come? 
How many of you would like to, for the Holy Spirit to show you some things to come? That's the promise in the word, but we get that benefit when we're following Jesus. So that's where vision comes from. And in 2020, I want you to get this in your spirit as we're finishing up this series. It's necessary for us to walk in fullness. Vision is necessary to walk in the fullness of God's call on our lives. Now, we've been quoting Proverbs 18. I want you to look at Proverbs 19 today from the Amplified Version. This is really good. It says, many plans are in a man's minds, but it is the Lord's purpose for him that will stand, be carried out. Anybody ever made some uh, ill-fated plans in their life? Oh, praise God for some honest people. Those who didn't raise their hands, we're praying for breakthrough for you. All of us have made those mistakes. We planned, we purchased, we took them on a date. <laughs> and many of those things failed. Why? Because they were plans originated in our minds. But what does the word say? God's plan, in other words, God's vision for your life, that's what will come to pass. That's what heaven's getting behind. And I believe all of us in this room want heaven to get behind our life, that we know that we're called to leave a legacy for our king, that we're not just called here to just breathe up oxygen and, you know, to consume a few hamburgers and then go to heaven, okay? We're made for something more than that. We're made to make an impact for the kingdom while eating organic hamburgers. Now... I want you to turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, but I'm going to give you some practicals of receiving vision. Now, let me give, I'm going to give you the background of Habakkuk. So you're going to turn to Habakkuk. I know some of us will have to go to the table of contents and find the page to find that book. Okay, don't be ashamed. Or pull out your, your Bible. It's real easy. Just hit the drop-down menu and go to Habakkuk. I know some of us are like Habakkuk. You know, we've said it different ways. Um, Habakkuk is a minor prophet, not because what is revealed is unimportant, but because of the size of the book. Now, this book is unlike any other, other minor prophets. Most of the prophets, what they do is they would speak on behalf of God a message to the nation. But this, this while it includes the nation of Israel is more like looking into a man's journal. So this, these three chapters are like looking into a journal. Um, and, and, and chapter one, which we'll, we'll, I, I say go and read it. You'll go and read it for yourself and see whether or not what I'm saying is so. Um, chapter one of Habakkuk, the background is this. He looks at all the people in Israel and says to God, they have lost their minds. God, they are worshiping false gods. They're doing whatever they want to do. God, they are terrible. He's praying this. And he's like, what are you going to do about it, God? And God speaks up and answers and says, Habakkuk, you're right. I have an answer. The Babylonians. 
Some of your versions will say the Chaldeans. The most fierce, godless army on the planet is God's answer to his people running away from him. He says, you're right, Habakkuk, I'm sending an answer. The Babylonians, whose God is their belly, whose armies consume everything. Yeah, I've got an answer. You're right, Habakkuk. And Habakkuk's like, oh, God, I may have made a mistake here. Um, this, uh, uh, we're bad. You know we're bad. I just said we're bad, but they're worse. They're way worse. And you're a righteous God. And why would you use them that are worse to deal with us and our condition? And there he sits after complaining about his coworkers. Come on, we're in your devotional now. Complaining about your coworkers to God. God's like, yeah, I got an answer. You're like, oh, maybe I need to back away from that. Habakkuk does that. And in his caution is where we get some principles about how to receive a vision from God. You need to know that the, circ the circumstances around this so you can understand how important vision is. It was very important in his day. Uh, chapter 3, which we really won't deal with, is actually a praise of God. He literally writes a song in response to God speaking. It's an incredible book. So go, go and read the whole thing. We're going to look at the first three verses of chapter 2. Habakkuk says this. As he's waiting on God's answer. He says this, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Now, there's so lots of principles in here. I don't have time today to cover all of them, but I'm going to give you a few. Listen, this will help position you to receive your own personal revelation of God's purpose in your life. If you'll apply what you learned today, I promise you, your life will never be the same. First thing, a very practical thing that we can learn from this passage is this. We have to connect personal devotion and corporate responsibility we have to connect our personal devotion to God and our corporate responsibility to others. He says this in verse 1, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. When he's saying I will stand my watch, most cities had walls. Jerusalem to this day still has a wall which is erected uh, on, on most sides of Jerusalem. Uh, uh, it's almost impossible for an army to advance. It's like a cliff. So they built a wall and a cliff uh, on, the, on the east, on the west, and on the south. 
There was only actually ever one way that Jerusalem was conquered, and that was always from the north. Always the enemies came around from the north to come in because that was the only way that they could really get over these walls. And so, and by the way, this is totally free. You want to guess where God planted the cross of his son? Outside the city on the north, the only way the enemy could come in to defeat Jerusalem. He says, no, I'm defeating every enemy. The only access, which was sin, he says, I'm defeating sin and no enemies will come in. That's a spiritual declaration of what God did for us. He's got walls up, angels up, his word is up protecting us on all sides. And then he spills his own blood making declaration that enemy is not coming through that gate. The one where we're vulnerable to. Now, that wasn't in the message. So that's for you. He says this, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. Watching from the rampart, it stands for this. It stands for a consecrated prayer life which has an effect on the region. A consecrated prayer life which has an effect, in this case, on the city. So when he says, I will stand my watch, he is talking about a watchman who would stand on the wall and if any enemy was advancing, watchman had one job, sound the alarm, lock the city up and ready the men of war. They would release a sound. What were they doing up there? They were standing their watch. So if the enemy was trying to come, they were ready. Not only did he stand in, his watch, but he went to a place called the rampart. The rampart wasn't just the wide place on the wall where you could walk. The rampart was the high place on the wall where only a single soldier or maybe two could stand looking even further than what you could see from the wall. And th so what this speaks of is I am going to be devoted to God and I'm going to get alone with him in a high place and I am going to stand my watch because if I don't, enemies could run in through an open door. People have uh, often misunderstood that they think, well, my personal devotion uh, to God really has no uh, impact on the lives of uh, other people. If I sin, you know, does it really matter? If I, if I don't live really consecrated to God, does it really matter? Let me just tell you, it does matter. And I want to I make it really clear for you that a watchman is symbolic of your prayer life. See, Isaiah 62, uh, verse 6 this is what God was saying. He said, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, that, she, that, that shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. What is he saying? He says, the watchman is symbolic of an intercessor, a person who is genuinely devoted to God in prayer. 
He says, this is a watchman. And what Habakkuk said is, I will stand my watch. And if you and I are going to be people of vision, it will start with us saying, I'll stand my watch. I'm going to stand my watch in 2020, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek Jesus. I'm going to grow in devotion to him. I'm even going to get alone with God this year. I'm going to go up on the, on the rampart, and I'm going to look to see what God is saying about this year. I want to I see things that other people can't see, God. So I'm going to go places that other people don't normally go. You say, you say, well, is this like a law? Are you saying this is a law that we have to do this? No way. This is a wedding invitation. This is heaven's invitation to come up higher and to participate with, with heaven's expansion of the kingdom of God in this place. So if you're going to be a person of vision, you're going to be a person that connects your personal devotion to God, the light that he exudes from your life and corporate responsibility, meaning that my light, my influence, my gifts, my calling actually are connected to God's greater purposes. He says, you who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Can I um, just dispel some things that sometimes people learn? in other uh, Pentecostal or charismatic uh, circles, uh, we have invented uh, um, a position in the church called intercessor. Like we call the people who really obey the, uh, the call to prayer, we call them intercessors. And so what happens is uh, when you see someone who re is really obedient in prayer and you're not really feeling that same motivation, you just, we have excused ourselves by saying, well, I'm not called to be an intercessor. This is terrible theology. Terrible. All of us are called to reflect Christ. Do you understand the title that he holds? The one who forever makes intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. And we're called to be just like him. All of us are called to intercede. So what happens when we don't connect our personal devotion and corporate responsibility? Ezekiel 22 happens. Ezekiel 22 says this. It says, the people of the land have used oppression, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy, and they have wrongfully oppressed the stranger. You're not reading this from a headline. Although it looks just like America. This looks like our nation. All kinds of sin, mistreating people. So what's God say? So I sought for a man among them who, who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, 
but I found no one. Therefore, I poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I've recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. What is this passage saying? It's saying God was willing to give mercy, but found no one who connected their personal devotion to God to a corporate responsibility to a region or a people. And so they weren't interceding. So what happened? Reaping and sowing happened. Sowing and reaping. They sowed these, these, these injustices and they reaped the harvest of those injustices. How many of you know that sowing and reaping is still going on today? It is. How many of you know you can sow some good things and actually reap some good things? I'm thankful for sowing and reaping when it comes to the good things. But aren't you glad that when we sow bad things, if we will actually be people who intercede, who are devoted to God, who pray and seek God's face, there is a weed killer called mercy. Wow, I'm telling you that's good news. And there's no side effects and it doesn't cause cancer. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm telling you it's good news. So what happens is when I take my personal devotion to God and I say yes to corporate responsibility and I begin to pray and I stand in my watch and I stand in the gap and I say, God, have mercy. You see these injustices? You see the abuse? You see the addiction? You see the divorce? You see where our nation's going? But when I stand in the gap devoted to God, I cry out mercy and God release his mercy but what the church mistakenly has done is that we stand in judgment and we're like Hollywood's gonna burn down there's enough going on in your living room for your house to burn down okay stop the nonsense Connect your personal devotion to God and hear him say, I've desired mercy over sacrifice. You hear him speak those things to you, you'll be able to stand in the gap. Uh, you'll say, God, I'm going to stand my watch. I'm going to stand my watch in 2020. I'm going to get up on the rampart and I'm going to understand that if I don't, if I don't, it could be that someone will actually reap from what they've sown. And here's what God wants to do. God wants to extend grace. That's actually when you receive something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is where God goes further and gives you something you could never earn. And that happens in a major way when people receive a vision from God because they position themselves on their watch in the place of prayer and devotion to God. They connect it. This is why over the next 11 months, the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, going into our first Wednesday services, God spoke to me and said, these three days you call a corporate fast. There are 12 areas that God wants to strengthen in us this year. The first one being this one, becoming people who live by revelation of God. 
And so what we're going to do in February, February uh, 3rd through the 5th, the day after you eat way too many wings, way too many chips and queso because you watched the Super Bowl, and you saw the Kansas City Chiefs win, I'm feeling prophetic. Don't none of, uh, listen, if y'all go out and gamble after what I just said, y'all need to repent. Um, and so after you've eaten all that food after Super Bowl, why don't you set some time to feast on God's presence and say, God, I want you to grow me. I want you to, I want you, I want to stand my watch, God. I want to stand in the gap and I want to see you do something for this region that's unprecedented. When you seek God, it, it positions you to hear from him. You'll hear from him. Second, uh, this is really practical. You need to expect that vision will bring change. That when God speaks to you, something's going to shift. I know that this is terrible for all of you. A-type personalities, you just got everything organized the way you like it. And all of a sudden, here comes the whirlwind. Something has to change. Vision always leads to change. Notice what Habakkuk said. He says, he says what I will answer when I am corrected. He's the prophet of God, the guy with the assignment to be a voice to the nation, and he's about to receive change. Something's about to to shift. Now, he says, before that, it says, and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Uh, let me give you just three tips. When you're alone with God, when you're really beginning to pray and to seek him, how, how you can really recognize vision. Uh, these are very simple. Um, it comes when you're seeking Jesus. Vision doesn't come when you're seeking vision. Vision comes when you're seeking Jesus. And his presence comes to you. And then revelation comes. Whatever you do, don't seek your purpose. Seek the one who gives you purpose. And your purpose will manifest. And it will, he will speak to you about his plan and his purpose for your life. It comes when you're seeking Jesus. It also, second, it comes in a picture. He says, notice these words, I will watch to see what he will say. Has anybody in here ever seen a word? At, at first glance, you would think some Old Testament writer got this wrong. They're spo it's supposed to say, and I will listen to hear what he will say. That's not what it says. It says, I will watch to see what he will say. Here's what you need to understand about vision. Oftentimes, it comes as a dream or a picture. It comes as a picture. Some of you are like, I've been seeing pictures for a long time. You're like, I've been hearing God for 15 years. What have I been doing with my life? You've, dis, you've disregarded one of the common languages of the Holy Spirit, not understanding that when the Holy Spirit gives you a picture, all you're supposed to do is say, God, show me every detail of the picture so I can walk in that. Here's what a, here's what a, a daily vision sometimes looks like. 
It looks like a picture of a person. You're driving down the road. And all of a sudden, you just see a person. Maybe you haven't seen them in a while. You know what you're supposed to do, right? First pray. And then call them. And then reach out to them. You say, well, I don't have any reason to. Yes, you do. You just saw the picture. That's permission. So what do you do? You say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, neither do I. I just call and say, hey, I just saw a picture of you. I was thinking about it. You don't have to say, I saw a picture of you. They're going to think, oh, that's weird. Where did they see me on a most wanted poster or what? <laughs> you, know? you could just say, hey, I was thinking about you. And so I just, I just took that as the voice of the Lord that I should call you. That's a common everyday. Some of you are like going, oh, my word. The Holy Spirit has been trying to direct me, and I had no idea it was him. That is the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, that's, that's one level. But what about when God gives you a vision for your family, for your marriage, for your finances? When it, what about when God gives you a vision for this church and a vision for your gifting coming alive? What about that? And that is the place where you say, God, I want every detail. I want every detail. And then um, when vision comes, it comes to direct. It says, when I am corrected, I'm sorry you're in a kingdom of correction because we tend to get off course. Anybody ever been on a boat before? You thought you were going straight till you looked behind you and you were all over the ocean. <laughs> you were everywhere because you could see the trail of where you've been. You thought you were going straight, but you really weren't going straight. And that is what vision does for us. It keeps us on course. It's a heavenly GPS guiding us into God's plan and purpose for our lives. But oftentimes, here comes a wave of circumstance, and here comes a wave of unbelief, and here comes another wave of somebody speaking something or a door of opportunity. It just blows us off course. But what, what, what's God do when you get back in the place of prayer? He corrects us. He fixes our direction. So vision corrects. Sets you on, on God's course. Now, you should know this. Most of the time, vision comes during a, a time of uncertainty. Most of the time, it comes in a time of uncertainty. I'll give you all kinds of biblical examples. There's a great one. God speaks to a man named Noah, and says, build a very large boat because it's about to rain. And Noah says, what is rain? What, what is rain? It's uncertain. It's like, huh. I know that I need to be doing something. He actually for a. He was like, family, come on, eight of us, all these. I don't know what we're going to do with all these animals. We're going to let God take care of that, but we're getting on this boat. It was very practical, 100 years, sounding alarm and warning, rain's coming. Everybody's like, what is rain? 
Vision comes in a time of uncertainty. Listen, ask Gideon. If you read the story of Gideon, here's Gideon. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. He is under the oppression of, 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 a, of an army that has come against Israel. He is out of place. In a wine press, you're supposed to be pressing wine. He's threshing wheat, trying to hide. And all of a sudden, a vision of, of an angel of the Lord shows up in a time of uncertainty. I could go on and on and on. God shows up and talks to Abraham when he is super awesome. Old. Not super old. Some of you are like 75 or greater. You're just entering your fourth quarter. He shows up and says, you're about to have a son. It's like Abraham being a man says, my wife has passed childbearing years. That's on her. <laughs> Come on, it's uncertainty. What happens? 25 years of waiting and faith. It's uncertainty. Vision always shows up in, the, in that time. It, it, over and over again, it's uncertainty. God speaks and then you're uncertain. Uh, I'm going to use two words that's going to help you understand what it may feel like in your heart when God is positioning you for vision. First, let's put these two together. Dis-ease. Dis-ease. I know some of you want to combine those and say that's disease. <laughs> right. When disease shows up in a person's life, you know something's wrong. And you immediately make the adjustments necessary to deal with the dis-ease so that you can get into a place of health. Our spiritual lives are much like that. When you get into a place of dis-ease, many times, not all the times, many times it is God positioning you to get things dealt with in your life, to get healthy in your walk with him, to get on his path for you so that he can heal you and plant you in his purpose. Don't think that it is wrong for you to have this sense of dis-ease. You say, well, pastor, aren't we supposed to be content? Yes, we are. But let me use the second word to help you to understand dis-eased. Hunger. Hunger is a dis-ease. It is knowing something is missing, and it is exactly 12.07. <laughs> something is missing. I need to be nourished. I, 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 I need to go and get something that will satisfy this hunger and give me strength to keep going. Well... We are called to be content, but you need to know Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You need to be completely content in Christ, but you need to be hungry for more, hungry for more of God's purpose, hungry and alive to what God's vision and plan is for you. So you set out on a course to leave the place of dis-ease so you can enter into God's purpose. That's what God calls us to do. 
expect vision to bring change. Something has to change. When God, when, when something isn't as God desires, it should move us to prayer and vision-driven action. And some of us have longed for change in some area of our life. And the missing ingredient hasn't been internal. It's actually been external. You haven't found the people to run with yet. Do you know that sometimes the change we need is the next relationship God wants us to step into? That is why right after this service, there's a whole host of people who are opening their arms saying, come run with me. We're launching life groups this week, and groups will be meeting. And what this is is about connecting people together so that together we can run after God's vision and God's heart. Some of you have been trying to go it alone. The reason why you're not stepping into what God has called you to do is because you're not running with the people that God called you to run with. Look at, how, look at how good God is. Leviticus 26, 7 and 8 says, You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. If you read that verse on your own, you're like, Man, I am taking hell on with a squirt gun. Okay? You're like, I'm ready. My enemies are going to fall before me. But let's keep reading. It says, Five of you shall chase a hundred. And a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. Do you hear what this is saying? He says, there is a declaration personally for your victory, but you are meant to run with five and you are meant to run with a hundred. You're meant to be a part of a small group of people that sees victory come in people's life. And you're called to be part of a bigger group that sets 10,000 demons to flight, that sends the, the, the divorce rate plummeting, that sends sends suicide back to where it belongs. It sends abuse back to where it be belongs. It sends all of the addiction in this region back to where it belongs. Why? Because you found the people to run with, a people who are devoted to God, a people who are standing their watch, who said, God, whatever change you've got to bring into my, my life, bring it, Lord. Bring the new relationship. Bring the person that's passionate for God, more passionate than me, the person that has more faith than me so I can run with them. The person that, that has been trying to fight on their own loses. I can't remember when I said it. I said, do you know what the, the sheep is that finds itself all alone? Dinner. Dinner. A sheep by itself will be consumed by a wolf. There's a good news. We're meant to flock together, and we, hold, we have a shepherd who has a rod in his hand, and his name is Jesus, and every devil is defeated by our shepherd. Come on, we're more victorious together, but it means change. These last three things, I won't spend a lot of time on them, but they are very profound. To practically receive vision, you need to write it, clarify it, and believe it. When God speaks to you, you need to write it down. This is what the Lord said to Habakkuk. He said, 
He said, write, it, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he, who, uh, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. It will not lie, though it tarries. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Let me just give you some, some of these things that, that I, I think God is speaking. When God r- write, write this down, write what God reveals. When you've said yes to standing on your watch, getting alone with God, finding the people to run with, accepting the fact that there might be change, <coughs> you write it down. Why? Because what God has spoken is worth remembering and vision tends to erode over time. So what do you do? You go back to what God spoke to you and you're able to read it again. Because vision always gives way to pragmatic thinking, very practical thinking. So God calls you to do something for him, and you start off, and then, you know, you're like, okay, 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 okay. I don't see it yet. All right, maybe I missed God. Maybe I should do something else. You know, maybe I should do, go here and there. And listen, don't do that. When God's vision comes, write it down so it doesn't erode. Second, clarify what God reveals. So you write what God reveals. You clarify what God reveals. Why do you need to clarify what God reveals and not speak to people in prophetic pictures? Like, I saw a wheel within a wheel. I saw an angel that was covered with eyes on the outside and on the inside, and they had six wings. And they only used two of them to fly. Aren't you blessed by that? Most people are like, that sounds like a horror film. What are you talking about? So unless you're prophetic... And have a deep insight into the scripture. You need to clarify what God has spoken to you. Make it plain. Why? Because vision always involves someone else. It always involves someone else. When God gives you vision, it's not just so you can be better. It's so you can be more useful. And that always involves other people. So you clarify it. So you can share it. So more people can run with you after God's purposes So you write what God reveals, clarify what God reveals, and then believe what God reveals. You should write this down. This will help you. Faith carries you through the gap between promise and fulfillment. Wait for it. Though it linger, it will come to pass. Faith is what carries you through that gap. It's believing that if God said it, it will come to pass. God's saying, though it lingers, wait for it. Though it lingers, wait for it. Listen. For almost 30 years, this, this, this place has been praying for revival, and we are just entering into those, the shallows of it. When you see that many people making decisions for Christ, you know God is on the move, and, and we're so happy that, that we see that. But that is not what makes us happy. The numbers don't make us happy. What really gives us joy is that the culmination of 30 years of preparation and intercession are coming to pass. Proverbs 13, 12, it says, hope deferred makes uh, the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is what? A tree of life. And we're beginning to see the, the beginnings of an awakening, the beginnings of a move of God. We're seeing it on campuses. We're seeing it in the church. We're seeing it in other churches. And I want to tell you, this is the time to write down what God reveals, to make it clear, and then believe what God reveals because it is coming to pass. 
I'm going to finish today by giving you one question to carry to your wall. One question to put on your lips while you're in the rampart with God. And it's this. In 2020, what's my part in leading a thousand souls to Christ? That's what I believe this God, that God has called this church to. I heard that last year, 2019. A thousand souls. 393 came into the kingdom. How many of you know that's amazing? But I'm believing the day where it won't only be a thousand, but two thousand people will come to the Lord. This place is exploding with people moving here. And church, we need to be ready. We need to be the people that, that connects our devotional life with corporate responsibility, that we're willing to change, that we're willing to be used, and that, that we say, God, if you speak, I'm writing it down, I'm making it clear, and God, by faith, we're going to see it come to pass. What's your part in seeing a thousand people make decisions for Christ this year?